0: Welcome along to the COVID Care Podcast. I'm your host, Caroline West, and on this podcast, I chat to care providers who assisted a variety of vulnerable people during this time. The podcast is a part of the Tortoise Shack Network, and if you wish to support the work that the Shack does, you can donate at patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. Today, we're exploring the impact of COVID on sexual health services in different parts of Ireland. I'm speaking with Phil Corcoran from the Sexual Health Centre in Cork and Grace Alice O'Shea from the Sexual Health West in Galway. How are you both keeping today?
1: Good, Good. thank you.
0: I suppose when we start, if you want to give yourselves um, a brief introduction and and a quick outline of what your service does and the type of demographic that you serve, Phil, I might start with yourself.
2: Yeah, no problem. So the Sexual Health Centre was established as Cork AIDS Alliance in 1987, and we were originally a support agency for people directly affected with HIV or for their friends and and family. Um, Obviously things have moved on an awful lot with HIV in terms of treatment, but our HIV services are still a very important part of what we we do. So um, our counselling and practical life support services um, for people living with HIV remain part of our service. We also provide uh, rapid HIV testing, um, free condom provision. We have um, uh, helpline services through phone and email, and we provide workshops to individuals and groups. So um, professionals, businesses, universities, homeless shelters, um, direct provision centres, migrant centres, non-mainstream schools, Um, and to people with intellectual disabilities. And I've been rolling out a teacher training programme for uh, the last year or so. And just as we were coming into this, we were in the process of putting that online. So um, the the timing was kind of perfect with that. Um, I suppose within the service, we also provide uh, pregnancy support. So we offer free pregnancy testing. Um, all options uh, pregnancy and post-termination counselling and um, we ho- also have an LGBTQIA plus support worker within the centre so I suppose we're, we're offering services to quite a wide variety of people and groups.
0: Absolutely you're kept on your toes for sure absolutely <laughs> yeah. an under, understatement I think um, and then Grace up in Galway.
1: Yeah, so um, I work for Sexual Health West. So we were originally um, called AIDS West, but we actually only changed our name recently. Um, and much like a Sexual Health Centre in Cork, we were founded in 1987, so we've been around quite a bit. So yeah, as I said, based in Galway City, we cover the west of Ireland, so Connacht. Um, So working with people with HIV is still very much, you know, a core part of our work. We offer social support, um, raising awareness, fighting stigma. We also have a helpline. Rapid HIV testing is also something we have started doing. Um, And just um, general support around sexual health. um, And that includes, I suppose, a lot of different concepts, Uh, we link in with a lot of other organizations as well and support services and we do a lot of community outreach so we work with um, providing support education information to for example again LGBTIQ plus groups uh, homeless services traveler community uh, within the prison system direct provision and more and with my role then I'm part of the WISER programme. So WISER stands for West of Ireland Sexuality Education Resource. So basically, I'm a WISER sex and relationships educator. So my role primarily would be um, travelling around to schools and delivering our WISER programme. But we also go to youth reaches and other kind of non-traditional education settings as well. So like Phil said, our demographic is quite wide it's it's not just one age group or one particular area so that's me in sexual health west
0: you are also a very busy bee <laughs>
1: <laughs> definitely
0: <laughs> but the, i love that the fact that you know you've just highlighted all of that and i'm sure you're all you're both leaving loads out as well because you, you'd probably fill the whole podcast just Obviously. describing yeah. <laughs> you know your job so but that that really shows so why it's really important to talk to yourselves because sometimes we think of sexual health and we may, maybe minimize it to things such as oh sti tests or Maybe a pregnancy test or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it really shows you how different groups really interact with the concept of sexual health and also just how important sexual health is as part of everyday physical and mental health as well. And and that overarching issue of wellness, you know, sexual health is just as important as physical and, and mental health. So um it's lovely to see that we actually do have really good services in, <laughs> in Ireland, and um, they're hard fought for. So, if we if we go back to the start of lockdown, which probably feels like a million years ago now, but we're we're talking six-ish kind of months. Um, did you yeah. both keep going during lockdown, or did you close your doors? How did how did you approach it?
2: I suppose when when all of this was was beginning, and we knew there was potential for lockdown, we had a phase contingency plan in place which was very helpful because I suppose with the services that we do run a lot of them are face-to-face so we needed to think about how a remote situation would work for us and you know it was very helpful because it enabled us to hit the ground running in 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 regard to many of the services so um, most of the services we did manage to to keep running so um condom distribution was was done via post and that was was very successful for us i I think since lockdown we've distributed um i thought it was six the other day but i think it's, it's 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 over seven um thousand condoms um wow since the lockdown began and you know that postal service was so successful that's something we're going to continue running with um just because there were there was really good take up for that um so pregnancy support and counseling services took place over phone and skype and um, we ran a number of social media campaigns we ran Um, campaigns focusing on relationships, um, sex during COVID, um, safer sex work during COVID um, and also we highlighted all of the services that were available at the the Sexual Health Centre. We also provided workshops, uh, so there was training on Hep C provided to service providers and negotiations were held with service providers about how best to deliver sessions to their service users in a in a COVID world, um, and there was a, a five part naked truth series of webinars delivered to um, UCC students in conjunction with uh, Femsoc there um, Our helpline. All of the the uh, the phone lines were were diverted from the building. Um, And so that was looked after every day. Um, So we were able to route people appropriately, either book them in with us or, you know, forward them to an appropriate service. And then in the background, um, I suppose we we do have two e-learning pieces coming up. Coincidentally, the teacher training program Grace is called Wise, which you oh. know is very different. <laughs> to Wise are yours, the west of Ireland. Six, so um, um, it's it's a, a very different thing. So Wise basically is is it, it it's a program that was developed to support teachers in the delivery of programs. So I wanted to give them an acronym to use in the moment um, to help them to answer questions that were coming up. So the W would relate to the what, the overarching um, issue or question that's being asked. The I would relate to, associated issues and further information. The S would be relating to the signposting and the E would be relating to the student engagement. So that training has been uh, rolled out for the last while. But as I said, that's been developed as an online utility. So that was being developed in the background. So um, I suppose we did manage to keep a lot of things going unfortunately because the building was closed we weren't able to keep things like pregnancy testing and rapid testing going um during the the most restrictive period so um those are now back up and running um but at that time we were unable to continue with those and also i i deliver workshops to people with intellectual disabilities which would usually run for um 6 weeks and those would usually take place in day centres, which, you know, um, weren't available to us, so that work had to stop as well.
0: Okay, and is that that's going to be up and running soon though as well?
2: Yeah, so we're looking Brilliant. at other ways. Um, I'm reaching out to, uh, I suppose, projects that we would usually work with to look at ways that we can get that moving again.
0: And Grace, would you have a, a
1: similar experience in Galway? It was quite similar. Um, I remember actually the day it was announced that schools would be closed, we were actually in a school. And I was actually discussing with my co-facilitator. I was like, surely they're going to close soon because you were just feeling this kind of panic almost rising. And I was like, we're going from school to school here. And yeah, it just started to really kind of get serious. Um, So yeah, once the schools closed, then very quickly afterwards, our doors physically closed. We began working from home. Um, so definitely challenges associated with that, but I'm kind of echoing a lot of what Phil said here, but obviously we couldn't do things like HIV testing. We couldn't do the one-to-one face-to-face support. So what we did do was, um, we continued the social support side of it with, you know, phone and email and the helpline remained open and we started distributing protection packages as well. So, um, A lot of people, I'm not sure the exact number, I think it was over 200 packages. I'm not sure how many condoms were in each package, but condoms and lubricant and STI information and COVID information sent out to people all over Ireland. And one big thing for us was, of course, again, the schools. So usually we'd go into primary schools in uh, April, May, June. Uh, that's at the time of the year where we go there and that was off the table so we put up um it's called a little wiser that's what our private school program is called it's for sixth class usually sometimes fifth, fifth class so we put up a little wiser online tutorials so they we're a mixture of kind of our own videos and videos from other organizations and um, just further information and information for parents so the idea was that you know parents could sit down with their kids at home and kind of do these tutorials with them or at least kind of have watched them beforehand and and let the kids do them kind of themselves. Um, So, of course, it's not the same as being there face-to-face, but you just have to make the absolute best of it. And likewise, we just became much more active on our website, on social media, running just different awareness kind of campaigns um, and linking in people with relevant services. So, of course, we're getting lots of phone calls about STI testing and and all different things people were going through so just trying our best to link in whether it be with women's age or rape crisis or you know, whatever was relevant uh, to that person's situation so that's that yeah that's mainly what we did so we were physically closed but we were all working remotely.
0: No, no Netflix and binge watching in bed for, for the two of you. Definitely <laughs> no, not. unfortunately not. No, no. 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 <laughs> so do you think th- you're both saying there that y- y- you know you sent out a lot of packages of of condoms and l- and lube and information? Do you think a silver lining then was like maybe you reached more people than what you might do, or maybe you reached people in different parts of the country that mightn't necessarily have engaged with your services before, or maybe with any services? So, do you think that w- that was the case, or were you maintaining your customers so to speak or clients should I say not customers really
2: yeah I mean we, we certainly would have had contact I mean most of our work is in is in Cork um so we would have had we would have had contact countrywide really you know so certainly with the condom distribution we would have been um distributing um across uh, the country so yeah I mean certainly you know what this did, in a way, was highlight how much is achievable in a remote setting. Now, um, I don't want to be, you know, overwhelmingly or, or, uh, saying that that's an absolute positive either because, you know, there are some drawbacks to remote working, which I'm, I'm sure we might get into uh, in, in a little while. But, yeah, it's it certainly showed us how much was achievable and, you know, uh, I suppose... The staff were through the lockdown. We had we had um, a weekly staff meeting, and staff were always in in regular contact. So I suppose we kind of helped each other to innovate, you know, under the circumstances. Um, I think that was very important. You know that uh, people felt supported through it, and that we maintained that contact with each other, and that we looked at new ways of of doing things.
1: Yeah, I I think um, on our end, I think we might have extended our reach um, like with the protection packages. So we didn't have a postal service before. So someone would come into the office and you'd give them condoms, which is a great service. But you can already imagine the barriers to that. You know, young people, a lot of them are just mortified. (laughs) Some of them, obviously, hopefully a lot of them. I see a lot of them coming in anyway. um, But, you know, it's just there can be barriers to getting that. And we go to schools all over, Connacht. So for us to say, oh, drop in next time you're in Galway City, you know, that could be any time. So I suppose the advantage was that we were promoting it through Instagram mainly. Um, and I think we were reaching a lot of university kind of age students. I know you can go to university at any age, but you know the kind of that demographic, uh, which was great because they would probably usually get their free condoms and that in their college. Um, so they were coming to us instead, which is brilliant. And we all know what it's like being at college. We've no money. Condoms are expensive. Um, lubricant is expensive. So yeah, I think in that way actually, now that you mention it, Caroline, because I hadn't thought of it like that before, I think we actually did um, you know, grow our kind of reach and our following a bit, just even through the protection packages. That's and we're going really to keep brilliant. doing it as well. Uh, yeah. as, as Phil said, we're going to continue that service because, again, you've so many rural parts of Ireland and just um, just kind of social barriers as well with coming in and asking mm-hmm. for condoms. You know, we're, we're not quite there yet where everyone would be comfortable doing that.
0: Yeah, hopefully soon. But yeah, we'll yeah. we only need yeah. people where we are at the moment. And you've both raised the issue there of accessibility. You know, Phil, you were saying it, it's hard not to have face-to-face. And, you know, especially if you're working with people who are homeless or in crisis, mm. you know, and, and they're not maybe in a school situation. Um, and grace yourself if you're, if you're going to people. Like, like you said, it's hard to, if you're from a rural area to trek all the way into Galway City just to get some condoms. So I noticed that you, you both had absolutely amazing Instagram and Twitter and social media profiles during lockdown and really really engaging bright shame-free um, infographs and you know like really really engaging content so talk me through how you managed that what the, what the responses were to it and the, the kind of topics that you covered.
1: We were talking for a long time about doing a social media overhaul and it's one of those things that as an organization especially as a charity and not-for-profit You can't really, well, I'm sure some organizations can, but trying to employ someone full-time as a social media manager is very challenging. So really it's up to the existing staff and, you know, kind of, what skills and resources we have, and what experience we have with it. And it's just hard to find time for it. So again, maybe another silver lining was we actually had time to work on this aspect of things. So uh, I'm trying to remember, we kind of just, because actually, because we had changed from AIDS West to Sexual Health West, we kind of wanted to do new pages anyway. We kind of wanted to jazz it up, the new logo. um, And we did start to do that. And I remember oh it's hard to believe it was in March but I think it was that long ago uh I started off by doing like an interactive um sex quiz on our Sexual Health West um Instagram stories and that got such a big response um because it was fun and you got to learn something and as you said Caroline it was very shame free and you're touching on all different topics got to do with sex so I think that definitely grew our following as well and um so myself and Megan and Nicole are the other two uh, colleagues that are kind of the social media team. So we just take it in turn, uh, one person per week. We uh, try and produce our own content. But again, sometimes, because we have, of course, other things to do, we just try and uh, shine a light on really other, other, sorry, really good um, sexual health pages. So just um, promoting other pages' content as well. Uh, so that's kind of where we're at. We, we've definitely improved our social media skills over the few months. Definitely, definitely. Um, I really admire anyone who does this full time because it's hard to come up with like, you know, really engaging original content. There's so much on there, um, and but to yeah, navigate so I think we-
0: like bans on social media for sexual content because that's it. yeah, sometimes yeah. they're not the friendliest. <laughs>
1: And I didn't realise that either. So I think we were kind of very optimistic, but maybe a little bit naive going into it. But that's okay, Um, because we learned as we went along. And yeah, I think you know, I think we've made a good job of it. So we'll keep working at it.
0: Excellent. And then Phil, yourselves, you, you again. Yeah, we're, I
2: high octane we're,
0: with your content.
2: Yeah, we're we're very lucky in that we've got a we've we have a a comms team um, in in the office. Um, and I suppose all of us input from our various different areas of work on the development of the um, social media pieces that were put out there during COVID. So it was very much a, a collaborative piece, I suppose, Grace, in terms of what you were saying there, everybody would have had, um, you know, an input on that. And again, it's it's just looking at trying to be as, you know, innovative as 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 possible you know when doing that and you know people are being bombarded with content every day so you're just trying to consider you know how you stand out within that
0: and you've done quite well your work has been recognized as do you want do you want to have your your proud boastful moments
2: so are you referencing the the awards i am nomination? i am i thought i thought i'd let you you know <laughs> oh, shed
0: it from, from the rooftop there you're so shy yeah, and humble
2: <laughs> yeah I, well yeah so yes and uh, we at uh, the we have been nominated for um for an award for the, the social media presence this year so obviously that's something that we're all very happy about at the center
0: it's lovely That's to brilliant. see that well done because like it's not lovely Thank to you. have you know the sockies recognise social media um, campaigns and some of them are like you know to do a butter or dairy or something yeah. very Irish but they actually <laughs> had quite a lot of, of sexual content uh, recognised this year you know they had the Sex Workers Alliance Ireland they had Shauna from Sex Shopper and yourselves and it's just it's so lovely to see that and I noticed like you know you were saying the word innovate and I think people working in the area of sex education as a broad umbrella and and that includes sex work uh, and uh, sex education of all different layers and, and levels, It can be very creative and very innovative in, in getting that message across. And I think both of you are really, really good at that because it can be quite hard to be up against shame and stigma considering they're there it's almost in our dna in ireland to have a a very negative approach to to sex and and certainly to the pleasurable side of sex let alone like the fear mongering Mm -hmm. side of things so how do you tackle that shame and stigma on a daily basis and and kind of make make it a more gentle and an accessible experience for the kind of people that you work with
2: I suppose, you know, we are all sexual beings, you know, and this isn't um, an area that anybody should um, experience any shame about, really. Um, you know, within our service, I mean, as I said, we we started as, as Cork AIDS Alliance, so HIV services have always been, uh, you know, a big part um, of our service, and there's been you know a huge amount of stigma attached to living with hiv so um and in relation to that i mean things like the u equals u campaign which was launched in 2016 that's removed a huge burden from people who are living um with HIV and maybe for people who don't know um u equals u stands for undetectable equals untransmittable so for people who are living with HIV and are on effective treatment that is treatment which brings their viral load down to undetectable levels then there isn't a risk of transmission to their partners. So, you know, I think putting those factual messages out there is uh, a very big part of um, tackling stigma. Um also, I suppose what, you know we're very mindful of within this COVID situation is i suppose there's a sense that everybody is watching everybody else and everybody is watching what uh, everybody else is doing um and i suppose for us just with our service delivery we want to make sure that wherever somebody is at within this that they feel um that they can come to services when they need them without fear of judgment. I mean, we don't want anyone feeling um, judged for their sexual activity during um, COVID times, you know. Um, People can be very isolated, you know, sexual contact might be the only contact that somebody has with somebody else. A person's sexual contacts might be tied into their income. You know, there can be lots of reasons. Um so we want um I suppose people wherever they're at and you know whatever their their sexual activity has been throughout covid because we've been given certain guidelines to live by and if somebody hasn't been living by those they might be afraid to come forward and that's not a situation that we want
0: for sure and and grace then because you're working with younger people sometimes that is kind of a different approach to shame and stigma that way
1: yeah, I mean, it's still very much there. I mean, it's great in ways that you go into schools and you could go into one school and they could be so, there could be such a sex positive just environment between the teachers and the kids. And you're just, you go away glowing that day and you're just, you know, you have so much hope. And then another day you could go in and you could hear really, you could hear really homophobic language, you could hear misogynistic language, you know, you you know yourself, like all the different um, dimensions of shame that has been handed down to us from generations, unfortunately. I think uh, it's really about, as you said, I think it was Caroline, you said meet people where they are. So like, I suppose, if, if I were to go in and teach sex ed in such a way that was really out there and i'm not even going to say vulgar because there's nothing vulgar about it but you know there's i suppose certain content that is kind of even on social media that it is really to grab your attention even the words they use and whatnot which is absolutely fine um compared to being kind of really hidden and that that kind of undercurrent of shame so I think it's really about striking the balance between being engaging and sex positive and also acknowledging the risks as well and how to minimize them um like I, I think our our education approach has become much more pleasure focused so even when we talk about consent of course we talk about um you know, we we do talk about sexual assault, we talk about rape, we talk about all those really, really important, serious topics. But we actually talk about consent as consent is what makes sex great. It is going to make it so pleasurable. It's about communication. You know, we really try and present it in a positive way that this is something that can add to your sexual experiences. Um, Even the way we talk about STIs. So we spend, we do go through kind of the main In STIs and some of their symptoms and how to get tested, that kind of thing. But in reality, there's no point, you know, listing off a whole load of symptoms and names because they're going to zone out and they're not going to remember. So actually, a large part of even looking at STIs is actually about STI stigma. So we talk loads about, well, loads of people get STIs. Um, You know, all of them are treatable. Most of them are curable. Um, And kind of treating people with empathy and not disclosing anyone's status, stuff like that, that I don't think has really ever been a focus of sex education. Um, so yeah, I think just for moving away from the shame and stigma, I think it's just about injecting that kind of those values of, of empathy and, um, uh, bodily autonomy and just respect and kindness for, for, for ourselves and for each other. Um, Which so very yeah. important
0: principles, like that's mm-hmm. yeah. that should be imbued in, in, every care service and when you're, you're providing care for people, but it, come on. I suppose maybe diving into that a little bit more, the empathy and and the respect and the kindness, you know, sexual health, again, isn't recognised by a lot of agencies out there as a priority or as an everyday part of life. And, you know, I'm kind of basing that on my experiences working in social care for a long time and specifically um, homeless services, that sexual health just wasn't even considered most of the time because if you have someone who's like really in crisis and you know the main issue is drug use and and minimizing harm reduction I suppose from that level but harm reduction when it came to sexual health just didn't seem to come into the conversation and I know Phil you work with people um, that are experiencing homelessness And, and it's like how do you empower people in, in such a very vulnerable group of people who, who may live in very chaotic lives but also are very stigmatised by the wider mm-hmm. society as well for being homeless, for being drug users, for engaging in sex work, um, for for anything, I suppose, really. They're a very stigmatised population all, 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 all over. But how do you get them to access healthcare services uh, you know around sexual health needs and also to convey that message that like sex is pleasurable and sexual health is important and you know not basing it all around oh my gosh STIs
2: yeah um i suppose in in the case of um homeless services we do have an outreach worker who um would engage with with homeless services in cork um d- you know, on a regular basis. So we would do um, rapid HIV testing and Hep C testing with those populations. But I suppose during those um, testing sessions, there is room for some brief interventions. There is room for, you know, discussions around a person's own sexual behaviour, um, the use of of, of condoms, um, you know, I suppose people will come with with lots of different things. You may be able to like link them in with all the supports if they're if they're raising issues. Um, um, you know so there is that room um and i suppose our our outreach worker is visiting um you know the same venues time after time so there will be um a bit of a relationship built with the people who are coming so it's not just about doing a rapid hiv test or doing a hep c test and getting a result for those there is room to engage with people on a range of other issues within that as well
0: that's brilliant to hear, yeah, because it, it's more than just you know the test, and then that's it. It's like great, you've got your yeah. results, we'll walk away, and, yeah. and that's yeah. it. Um, but so speaking of of testing and STI testing, HIV testing, do you think that the lockdown and that lack of access to services is going to see a rise in STI transmission rates across Ireland?
1: Yeah, um, I think it's kind of a hard one to call, and I been talking to me and my colleagues have been talking about this a few times i think it's very possible we could see a spike um you know when you think of i suppose there's two sides to on one side you had lockdown and you know the the opportunities for having sex were so reduced but then on the other hand you have the you know the really um what would you say the closure of the kind of sti services and people not being able to get tested so i guess if people are kind of uh, coming in now and getting tested all at once we could see a rise as well i'm thinking you know if people as you said like people Like sexuality is so intrinsic to our health, our mental health, our physical health, um, like our social well-being. And, you know, I'm thinking of people who've maybe been on their own for months. And if they're now going out and, you know, acquiring sexual partners, which I'm sure they're delighted to be doing. I'm wondering, you know, could the inhibitions be lowered a little bit, especially with the pubs opening Um, Mm -hmm. just kind of human nature, isn't it? That once alcohol gets involved and if you deprive someone of something for a long time, um, you know, protection could could drop down the list of priorities. So I suppose that could that could lead to a rise as well. But I don't want to say it will because I don't want to do any fear mongering because I really, we really don't know. But I think the other thing that is interesting to consider is long term. So when we look at COVID and how we've learned about COVID and, you know, wearing our masks and we're so conscious of even like I might touch something and I think, oh, God, did I touch my face? And that other person is going to touch it. And and we're really thinking Mm -hmm. into the fine details And, like, think of sex. It's two, at least two bodies kissing, fluids exchanging, loads of time together. And it might actually kind of raise people's awareness of how easily, you know, infections are transmitted, that Mm -hmm. it might actually kind of... They might relate what they've learned about COVID to sex and their own sexual health. Um, Maybe. (laughs) This might be wishful thinking, but it would be great, wouldn't it, if it kind of just heightened people's awareness or I suppose the risk that that they just kind of felt oh I actually you know even if I don't use a condom once that actually does put me at risk um, yeah. so that might be something interesting that could come
2: up in the future perhaps.
0: I feel I can see you nodding away furiously there in agreement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but,
2: um, I, I suppose just in terms of you know access to testing the, the gum clinic in Cork did offer a reduced service throughout so um i think there might have been you know there were very few in the country but they did um keep a service running many of their staff had been redeployed so it meant they weren't able to see people in the same numbers um and you know i know through our our helpline service there were a lot of people who were looking for those services you know throughout the um the the restrictions so um I suppose it remains to be seen you know it'll probably be you know sometime next year before we'll be we'll be seeing those those figures um Mm -hmm. so it'll be an interesting one to watch certainly
0: some interesting pieces of research that, that will come out of things yeah and you both mentioned the guidelines there so it was really interesting to see the the government and the hsc giving out sexual health advice which mm-hmm. ha- hasn't really been a high priority for a lot of um you know our our governments in the past but it was an, there were interesting snippets of advice from between being told to have sex online or to you know be conscious of where faces are and um that kind of thing I don't know, it was kind of rumoured that there is advice to use glory holes. For anyone who doesn't know, that's like a hole in a piece of wood and you're yeah. just exposed to oh, genitals. Wow. <laughs> I, I think that kind of became a bit more of an urban legend kind of thing. So, Well, I actually
2: saw one piece <laughs> from New York, from um, a public health programme over there, which was specifically targeted towards um, men who have sex with men. And they were advocating for the use of glory holes because there was a barrier Um, and also if people were engaged in group sex to keep the size of the group smaller and to keep their contacts smaller so there certainly were messages around that out there so Which is
0: interesting, because I know the Italian government at the start advised, that they were straight off the bat and saying, stop having affairs and, you know, minimize orgies. And they just made it sound like everyone was doing this, like this is an (laughs) absolutely normal part (laughs) of Italian culture. And maybe it is, I don't know, the Italians have have (laughs) reputations and stereotypes as well. But I loved that it was just normalized. It was like, hey, we're recognizing that people have sex in all sorts of weird and wonderful ways so let's yeah. try make that a bit safer without stigmatizing or just assuming that the only way people have sex is within hetero married couples yeah. in, in order to procreate so yeah grace what were your thoughts on the guidelines
1: um i think there were like there were some really practical points in there you know obviously you have to hit on all the stuff about washing hands and condom use and 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 you know your number of sexual partners, etc. Uh, I I felt well first of all there was a delay in getting them out Um, it did feel like there was a bit of delay with that and also I suppose there would be a lot of people who wouldn't have had access to that advice as well um, such as homeless people um, etc and you know homeless people do have sex and sexual needs just like everyone else and it's so important that this advice is actually you know i didn't i personally didn't see any posters around with sexual health advice it would have been just general covid advice um i think yeah i think the guidelines they were quite practical but they weren't overly comprehensive like you mentioned the new york guidelines and it, like as we said sexual health is so entwined with our physical health and our mental health and it's not just about of course the hand washing the communes all that but You know, the intimacy, the human connection, like if you're taking that away from so many people, it kind of needs to be addressed, you know, in the same breath. So if you're reading sexual guidelines, I'd love to see some more information about about loneliness, coping with loneliness, Um, you know, kind of cyber sex, all different kind of alternatives. And also just, yeah, just kind of an acknowledgement that this could affect you know your mental health and your physical health and it's not just a thing of well don't have sex just get over it you know just don't have it for a few months you'll be fine you know it's just it's just not that simple it's more of a holistic concept and i don't think you know the guidelines were overly holistic in nature so maybe in the future i mean hopefully we won't need them in the future but realistically if we do that they just pad them out a little bit more and again i know they're supposed to be practical they're medical in nature, but just to inject that bit of empathy and humanity into them as well, That you know, yeah, that's kind of it, just to really, really, when you read them, not to feel, oh God, I can't do this, this, this and this, and that's it. And you walk away with kind of feeling awful and feeling worried and feeling lonely and, mm-hmm. um, Yeah.
0: And then probably a sense of guilt if you do have sex then, yeah. you know, because again, we're human, we're messy, we don't necessarily fit into very neat boxes sometimes. And and there were people who were having sex during COVID and, and the, again, yeah. shame and stigma on those people as well yeah. um, for, you know, breaching it. And then a sense of blame of like, well, you know, you know what you were doing, that's how you got covid you know, and it's almost yeah. like that early discourse around HIV of, well, yeah. if you didn't have sex like this, then you wouldn't get HIV. Do you think that's yeah, yeah. right, yeah. yeah?
2: And and I suppose at our service level, which I've referenced already, is you know we don't want people coming to us with that shame and stigma. We want to people to come to us with their their sexual health needs. Um, I suppose just in in terms of the the, the sexual health advice. I suppose we're just glad that sexual health was on the agenda. Really, <laughs> you know. We'll take I what know, we can get. We can, yeah, <laughs> we can all learn. We can all learn and grow as 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 we go. But it was just great to see that on the agenda, and you know, in Cork, to see that there was a, a free testing service that was still available throughout. Um, I know for us, we have a, a sexual health network in 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 Cork, and within that. There's the sexual assault treatment unit. There's the HIV clinic in the CUH. There's ourselves. There's the Gay Project, Link, YHs, Sexual Violence Centre. Um, so the, I mean, there's a good route of communication there, um, and you know, sexualwellbeing.ie. We're very proactive in in supporting our social media campaigns, routing people through our our services. And, you know, that sexual health network with statutory and non-statutory bodies on it, you know, that's been a very good help in terms of us getting regular updates. And, you know, condoms were provided to us as well, which allows us to provide condoms free of charge, you know, to our service users. So um the fact that sexual health is on the agenda is a very positive thing.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? It's a huge mm-hmm. step forward for Irish society. Yeah. It, it absolutely is. And, and it was just, it was lovely to see that acknowledgement now I know across the pond in, in England they had some very confusing sexual health advice where they said you can't have sex indoors but you can have sex outdoors and people were like can we have sex in our garden like how, do, how does that work <laughs> but part of the, the HSC guidelines as well were saying that you can have sex outdoors so how do you think that that advice was interpreted because i remember talk, you know giving some interviews about that and i was like well if you have a car you can use a car but you have to have <laughs> the windows down and you have to be very conscious of like you know you don't want to have sex where people can overhear or stumble past or you know you don't want any kids walking by or anything like that so how do you think people reacted to that that particular piece of advice
1: I wasn't actually aware of that, Caroline. I didn't realize they had said that. That's really interesting. Um I presume was it something to do with if it it's outdoors, then yeah, the ventilation more air and, yeah. Okay. Yeah. which is yeah, okay. Um I mean, straight away I'm thinking just safety-wise, of it's something actually that comes up with young people a lot. Um we have anonymous questions as part of our WISA programme, and we often get asks, asked asked where can I have sex like where can we have sex and I'm kind of always like well you know I'd always encourage you know of course talking to parents talking to caregivers um because like no person should have to be somewhere cold or unsafe or you know really just uncomfortable um to have sexual experiences because it doesn't make for generally and I know obviously it's totally different to adults going off and having sex in the car, or doing something exciting. You know, I'm talking about like genuine, like pleasurable sexual experiences. That a lot of the time, um, if risk isn't a, a kind of a thing that you're interested in, then you're just going to want somewhere safe and comfortable. And so, yeah, I'm not sure how people reacted to it because, again, I wasn't even aware of it. But I just, when you said it, it immediately came to mind that. It does make me sad and also quite worried that, you know, a lot of young people probably are already having sex um, in public places if they're not allowed, you know, if they're not allowed to be in their bedroom with their partner or, you know, every household has different rules. But unfortunately, that then can push them out into these really kind of dodgy situations, really. And then again, if they get caught, shame, stigma, you know, you're grounded, whatever. I'm not saying every parent would do that, but, um, you know, it, it is kind of a complex dilemma really for some people.
0: And it, Phil, feel, I suppose your service were really at the core of some discussions around this. So I know, um, Suzanne Walsh or Susan Walsh, she works with yourselves. Um, yeah. she's been on my other podcast talking about the issue of, mm-hmm. um, revenge porn, also known as image-based sexual abuse. Yeah. And, Some of the HSC guidelines were either to have sex online, which raised the question of, well, how do you do that safely? But also there is the situation in Cork where somebody filmed homeless people having sex and put it on Facebook and they said, oh, I'm so horrified by this. Look at this. And yet decided to put that on Facebook. So, and, and you know, first of all they're they, you know they're vulnerable people who obviously didn't consent yes. to having their images um put online but that's also image-based sexual abuse and with the aim of, of stigmatizing them even further so if advice is to have sex outdoors like how do you cope with that risk of like someone's going to put that online or how do we respond to i suppose the the laugh that some people got out of that which is really quite yeah. problematic no, i think
2: there's yeah, there's a bigger conversation that needs to be, you know, had around that, um, you know, just in terms of digital media and what is um, what is shared, um, you know, regardless of where that took place, it was a moment between two people that, you know, they wouldn't have imagined would be you know, shared online, Um, and there there certainly is a lot of work to be done, you know, around that whole digital sphere um, and the abuses that can very easily happen, even without people recognising that they're complicit in that abuse, because if they're sharing something for a laugh, they might not realise, you know, the gravity of, of what they're actually doing. You know, um, we can think back as well to that that situation in Slane, going back quite a, a number of years, where the girl in in those images that were going around was actually underage. Um, and I suppose we were we were a lot earlier in these conversations then, but a lot of people were probably distributing child pornography without an awareness that they were doing that. You know, mm-hmm. so it is certainly something that there there needs to be a lot of work and conversation on going forward
0: yeah and, and that's exactly what it is if you're sharing content of underage people that's yeah. images of children so yeah I, you're talking about that as a gap i suppose in, in these conversations and i that's the joy of working in, in the area of sexuality that it's we're ne- it's never ending sometimes but we do identify gaps and themes sometimes so what lessons do you think that your services learned from COVID? Like were there any particular themes that came up and were there any gaps in your service provision that were identified?
1: I guess what we identified was we had to adapt very quickly and kind of find a whole new way of working. So certainly the importance of online resources and virtual resources is absolutely key and it's something that we would as an organisation, pre-COVID have been saying for years, oh, we must get that up online and we must make that available because, for example, sometimes we'll be called to a school and it'll be just too far away for us to get to. Um, Now, it's rare we say no, but sometimes we do have to, and we're such a small team that if one person is sick, And there's only supposed to be two traveling to a school, you know, it kind of just um, you can end up having a load of cancellations. So we were saying for ages, we must get something, you know, an actual product that we can give to schools and other settings as well with all our work on it and us presenting or sharing information or whatnot. So certainly just the, the absolute importance of that and it's a it's a good way of working anyway because it's so much more accessible um you know even a few videos you can have them subtitled for people who are hard of hearing Mm -hmm. um you could send them to people who are being homeschooled you know you you can optimize you can maximize your reach so much more i suppose we did uh identify you know a gap in testing um like they, there was just such a kind of closure and shutdown during lockdown. And I know there were some, the and they could take some people on appointment, but they couldn't take any new patients, et cetera. Um, so like that, it, it just can't really happen again. You know, if we went into another lockdown, we're going to have to find a way around that of carrying out testing in a way that is as safe as possible, particularly HIV testing, because time is of the essence with a HIV diagnosis, as we know. And, you know, the sooner someone is diagnosed, the sooner they can get support and they can get treatment. So I think they would be the main two kind of gaps that we would have um,
2: identified, and then phil um i I suppose in terms of our learning i suppose you know there was learning in the fact that people are open to online sexual health services and that people are open to um remote uh counseling services um and i suppose throughout covid i'm i'm I suppose I'm proud of what we were able to achieve. Um, but I suppose there can be drawbacks to everything. I'm very mindful of yes, we we did manage to provide services in a remote setting, but I suppose you need to think of the fact that not everybody is tech savvy. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. not everybody has access to really good wi-fi so you know some people may be cut off from accessing those kind of supports other people might just have a preference for a face-to-face service Mm -hmm. so we can't assume that because you know we made this happen and that lots of people were really happy with this that it's not the way forward for everybody You know, so I suppose there would be something there. And I suppose in in, in terms of gaps, just, you know, with this mask wearing for society at large, you know, people who might have difficulty with social cues Mm -hmm. might be very, very cut off through maybe doing something over a phone, you know. Um, And, you know, for people who are deaf, you know, you mentioned subtitling their grace, But again, that may be, you know... A, a difficult interaction remotely for people um, if it was um largely text-based or something like that it 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 mightn't be um ideal. so and I suppose with the fact that you know, disability services weren't places we could go to and um, you know, I, I personally had a lot of work booked with um, with young adults with intellectual disabilities um, so that work was just not available to us um, and as I said we are looking at ways, you know, to engage with those groups um, going forward. Um, I suppose, that, like, learnings again, the condom provision, you know, uh, will be a no-brainer by by post going forward. And I suppose with the, the rapid testing, our outreach venues aren't available to us presently. So we are doing evening sessions in the Sexual Health Centre from the 22nd of October. And I have been doing um, a training over Zoom with... Uh, volunteers just around the new procedures for for testing in-house um so for example we're 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 doing our consultations over the phone before people come in to lessen the amount of time that they need to spend in the building with another person so volunteers are being trained in all of these new procedures um going forward so if we were in a situation um where there was a, a, a lockdown situation again that we might be in a better position you know to to maybe do those um to maybe do those sessions um under those circumstances um again you know stuff is changing every day we just um need to see how things play out but certainly i do think we would be in a better position having been through it once um to engage in that way again even though I really hope we don't have to but you know if that was the case I think we would be in a better position.
0: Yeah because uh, you know I suppose we're, we're day by day and we're recording this now yeah. and there may be a lockdown tomorrow or by the time it comes yeah. out we may be in lockdown but hopefully hopefully not. Um, I just want to pick up on, on something Grace said earlier there about you know you're working with schools and, and maybe fifth and sixth years sometimes so those kids have now gone on to university, um, you know, in the time of lockdown, you know, we have had people graduating from secondary school and going on to college. And I know a lot of the time college is just such a whirlwind and, you know, you've got your independence, you've got access mm. to money, parties, there's a lot of casual sex, there's a lot of unprotected sex, there's issues around consent. Do you worry that those people haven't got the foundation that you would have liked to have with them and now they're going into this absolute whirlwind of a situation it's a whirlwind normally and then when you throw in a pandemic on top of things it's even more of a you know a confusing weird time um how can we support those people
1: yeah that's a good question so I suppose um Firstly, like we deliver wiser at different ages. So we have it for fifth and sixth class in primary school. And then we generally do it in maybe second or third year. And we have another program then for the older, like, um, you know, transition year leaving certs. And it's up to the school when they get us in, or how often they get us in. Best case scenario is we get, you know, we see someone in sixth class, we see them in second year, and we see them again in transition year. Like, that would be fantastic. But realistically, a lot of the time, we might only see one given young person once and at one stage. So certainly, you know, young people going to secondary school have missed out, and young people going to college have missed out as well. But but in relation to your question... I suppose we just um, will absolutely have to keep that in mind and work with the colleges. Um, So we absolutely can deliver workshops um, in, well, again, probably not physically, but we could do it virtually and offer our services to colleges. Um, It is something that we definitely have discussed because, yeah, it it is um, sometimes you meet young people in leaving cert and you would be unfortunately just shocked at the level of knowledge and it's not their fault. It's just, you know, the way, things are in in some schools etc that it's just not prioritized or they don't have the resources etc and there is so much but there's still so much to learn anyway when you go to college you know you could have all the sex ed in secondary school but you're still so young at 18 if you are going away at 18 and and the actual kind of practical application of say consent communication going and find your STI clinic that's all stuff that you know you can listen to in a classroom but it is kind of learning th- through living um so yeah i think we're just going to certainly check in with all the third level institutions we can and offer them whatever would suit in conjunction with, w- with what they already do because for example there's the active consent um program that is very active um in different universities so if they have consent covered we could go in and do other topics um so i think again we kind of have to play it by ear, see what happens with universities, how they're, you know, reaching students, et cetera. And we've reached out to a lot of societies, actually, clubs and societies, because we do work with them as well. Um, so I'm hoping now that it's September, they'll start getting back to us and we'll start making more contact because, of course, it's been chaotic and people haven't been looking at their emails. And, yeah. you know, you have to I'm totally allow for classes. that. So, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, They're just trying to get, you know, probably normal classes up and running um, before they're probably thinking of kind of uh, our line of work. But, you know, I'm sure we'll get in contact with them anyway, either way.
0: And Phil yourself, you have a really good relationship with um, UCC down in Cork. Yes.
2: Yeah. Um, so I, I mentioned earlier um, that we had the, the Naked Truth series um, that was running there um, with with in conjunction with FEMSOC in UCC, which was rolled up by um susan um so again you know we will be looking at as many virtual avenues as we can um which you know the, the student experience looks like it's going to be largely virtual anyway but we we need to look at ways to engage with people as best we can um i suppose before students went back you know in the the time of the naked truth series people weren't engaging in their lectures all day Um, I suppose it's going to be a challenge for us to look at how do we keep people engaged if they have been, you know, um, accessing their lectures online all day, how do we make, you know, our sexual health work attractive in, in this virtual world.
0: I suppose we do have the advantage of of sex being more interesting than learning Spanish yeah. or yeah, maths. Definitely. Yeah, <laughs> well, for speaking absolutely. personally, of course, <laughs> on that level. So, um, yeah, maybe someone else is really into maths. I don't know. But that's not me. Um, <laughs> brilliant. Listen, thank you both so much for your, your your time today. Where can people find your work if they're reaching out to you on online uh, at the moment or in person?
1: Um, So we can be reached at um, sexualhealthwest.ie, that's our new website, and There you'll find our email address, phone number, where we're based, and also the links to all our social media as well. So we're on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and Instagram and all those. Um, Also, bewiser.ie is our website for the education side of things and the WISER programme. And finally, I also work independently as a sex educator with adults. Um, So my site is currently being designed, exciting. Um, But for now, I'm on just Instagram as Grace Alice Sex Educator and there's an underscore between each word and on LinkedIn I'm Grace Alice O'Shea if anyone wants to contact me personally
0: brilliant and Phil then
2: okay and we can be found at sexualhealthcentre.com email um, info at and our help nine number is 021 427 6676 um, from our website you'll find all of the links to our uh, Facebook Instagram and our Twitter pages
0: Brilliant. So I hope people do reach it because there's such a ton of amazing accessible resources online that are very inclusive of different ways that people have sex in Ireland in the 21st century. So it's really nice to see those resources here in Ireland. And uh, Thank you everyone for listening in as well. If you like the podcast, you know, you can please hop over to Apple. You can rate and review. You can follow on Spotify or if you wish to support via Patreon, it's patreon.com forward slash tortoise If you want to join in the conversation, the hashtag on Twitter is hashtag COVID care podcast and if you want to drop me an email about anything that you've heard in any of the podcasts it's hello it's caroline west at gmail.com and I'll chat to you again next week